The abortion battle in the Kansas legislature comes down to the wire but goes on. That has implications, potentially dire ones, for Medicaid expansion. Lawmakers are asking, should the state's chief election officer have partisan leanings? And a preview of the state's new 10-year, $10 billion transportation plan. I'm Jim McLean, and this is Statehouse Blend, Kansas. Well, the pace is quickening at the State House. at least it was until the constitutional amendment on abortion hit the House floor, and that slowed things down quite a bit and produced some real drama. Here to talk about it is Kansas News Service State House reporter Stephen Corrand. Hi, Stephen. Hi there. So quite a day in the Kansas House. It was locked down for hours on this abortion question. That's right. They held the vote open for about six hours using a procedural move called a call of the House. So members have to stay in their seats. They can only be excused if the speaker excuses them. And it's typically used to kind of try to get the last few votes you need to pass Mm -hmm. a measure. And that's what they were hoping to do here. And so they needed 84 votes in the 125-member House, and they didn't get there. They got 80. They got really close. And there were four critical holdouts for Republicans that they were trying to sway, but they didn't get them. One of those holdouts, Republican Don Heineman from Dighton, uh, he indicated that he was not necessarily a no vote on the question of putting this amendment on the ballot. It's a question of when you would actually put it to voters. This should not and cannot be the end of this discussion. Options remain. We can still regroup and place the measure on the November ballot, and I will trust the good citizens of this great state to pass the measure at that time. We should explain the way this works is if it gets the two-thirds majority in both chambers, Mm -hmm. then it goes to a statewide ballot vote. And the question is when that ballot vote would happen. The amendment would have done it in August, but as we heard, it sure sounds like Heinemann would support it if they moved it to November. Yeah, and more people come out for the general election in November, so I think that's probably his reasoning, right? I think so. And let's remind people, what would this amendment do? It's a response to a state Supreme Court ruling that said there is a right to abortion in the Kansas Constitution, Mm -hmm. and this would overturn that by specifically saying in the Constitution, there's no right to abortion and lawmakers can regulate abortion. All right, so what's the next step here? Well, it's not 100% clear, but we know there will be next steps. Uh, The House Majority Leader, Dan Hawkins, told reporters that he basically guarantees this is going to come back up. We're not sure if it's going to be tweaked or if they're just going to try to run the same amendment again. And this whole abortion question now has got all tangled up with the Medicaid expansion question. Uh, The state's most powerful anti-abortion group, Kansas for Life, has come out and is urging lawmakers to halt all work on Medicaid expansion until this issue is resolved. That's right. And Senate President Susan Wagel says what? Something very similar. She says the Senate will not run Medicaid expansion until the abortion amendment is passed. So there you have a very powerful group and a very powerful lawmaker saying no Medicaid expansion until this abortion amendment is approved. Yeah, probably some pretty powerful leverage there. Stephen, what about this idea that's getting some consideration that we shouldn't pick our chief election officer, that's the Kansas Secretary of State, in a partisan election? So this bill is aimed at kind of avoiding situations like we saw in 2018 when then-Secretary of State Chris Kobach was running for governor. If you remember uh, Chris Kobach and the sitting governor, Jeff Collier, were, Mm -hmm. were stuck in this really tight primary race. It was only separated by a few hundred votes, uh, and ultimately Kobach defeated Collier. So lawmakers are considering a bill that would do a couple things. It would make the Secretary of State races nonpartisan and require a sitting Secretary of State to step down before he or she were to run for another office. And Democratic Representative Brett Parker introduced this bill because he says it would avoid situations just like we saw in 2018. But just the general concept that you have a candidate for governor who is 
also the chief election officer of his own election and certifies those results makes a lot of people uncomfortable. That bill appears to be a bit of a long shot, but at the very least it's raised some issues we probably need to think about. That's right. Okay, Stephen Caranda, State House reporter for the Kansas News Service. Thanks a lot. We'll check in with you again next week. Thank you. The Kansas Department of Transportation is one of the biggest agencies in state government for what should be obvious reasons. Kansas is a big place with lots of roads and bridges to take care of. Julie Lorenz runs the agency for Democratic Governor Laura Kelly. We have about 2,200 employees and we're responsible for more than 10,000 miles of highways. In addition to that, we help support airports and transit services where uh, we also help shortline rail. Essentially, Jim, we're getting people where they want to go with as much choice as possible. Mm-hmm. And important to know as a net ex- export state, uh, to the extent you can drive down the cost of transportation, it does one of two things. It either makes uh, consumer goods more affordable or Kansas businesses more profitable. And more competitive. So 10,000 miles of highways for the state. Kansas is not the biggest state in the country geographically. So relative to its size, how big is our highway system? So here's the thing to understand. While our state highway system is about 10,000 miles, we have more than 140,000 public road miles. So we have a very expansive system for really not a very large population. For decades, Kansas had one of the best road systems in the country. That's because since the 1980s, the state invested billions of dollars in a series of transportation programs that governors and lawmakers renewed every 10 years. But the system took a big hit midway through Republican Sam Brownback's time as governor when the tax cuts he championed sent revenues plummeting. That triggered a chain reaction that left KDOT without enough money to do basic maintenance or to finish 21 promised projects. Lorenz is committed to finishing all but one of those projects and launching a new 10-year, $10 billion transportation program. The top priority, she says, is getting Kansas highways back in tip-top shape. Our highway system is worth north of $32 billion. It's one of the most valuable assets our state has. In the last eight years, preservation wasn't fully funded. So we need to go back and do a lot of pavement replacement, which is very expensive. Mm-hmm. And that needs to be done all across the state. We anticipate that we need to invest $500 million per year to get our system back up to good condition and maintain it. Because we also have a whole series of bridges that are getting ready to age out of the system. The new program will be different in some other ways. For one thing, KDOT won't start with a set list of projects to complete over the 10-year span. Instead, the agency will select a handful every couple of years so that it can respond to changing priorities. Lorenz calls it future-proofing the program. Transportation investments are large and expensive, and you have to consider where we are in in our place in time. Technology is changing very rapidly. Mm-hmm. Americans' adoption rate of technology is also increasing. So the, the really the question becomes, how do you make good investments to stand the test of time against a landscape that is changing so quickly? We will consult with communities every two years to select projects to put into the development pipeline. So that's where you do engineering and you do right-of-way acquisition. You start to move utilities. Mm-hmm. Projects would then be selected from the development pipeline and pulled into construction every two years. Essentially, you're metering that work out of the out of the uh, development pipeline and putting it into construction. And there's some other new wrinkles. You want to partner, I think, more fully with local units of government, cities and counties, in terms of not only... Uh, determining the need for certain projects, but also 
paying for them. Not every community has the means to bring money to the table. We recognize that. So on the other side of the coin, if a community is willing to phase a project or downscope a project, we will also give that sort of bonus points, if you will, or additional consideration. So for example, in more rural parts of the state, instead of building a four-lane, we might build passing lanes. It's an extremely um, effective safety improvement that mm -hmm. we can get to faster, and it's less costly both to build but also to maintain. What kind of a reaction are you hoping for uh, from cities and counties? Do you, th do you hope that they're going to be open to that kind of conversation? So I will point no further than Southeast Kansas and uh, U.S. 169 Corridor Coalition. In the 16 local consult meetings we held all around the state, they stood up and they said, man, we want a four-lane. It is important to our community. We also understand as a practical matter that it will take us a long time to get a four-lane. We need safety improvements now. We'll take passing lanes over a four-lane. Lorenz has some leverage when it comes to those negotiations because KDOT can show that passing lanes make highways a lot safer. On US 400, the passing lanes there have provided an, an enormous safety benefit. We had projected about an 18% improvement in safety. We've seen something more like 32% reduction in crash rate and a 17% reduction in the fatality rate. Passing lanes will help rural travelers, but the new plan takes another approach to easing congestion in urban areas. Communities where that's a problem, Lorenz says, could approach KDOT about adding express or toll lanes to clogged commuter routes. Two really cool things about this express toll lane approach that we are open to talking with communities if they are interested. One, you can choose if you're going to drive in that tolled lane. We want to keep it relatively free-flowing so it will be variable priced, which means maybe it's 40 cents at 7.30 in the morning when you're trying to get to the office and it may be a quarter in the afternoon when it's not very busy at all. And so we keep it relatively free flow. A, that raises more money for the system in its entirety, but also it helps us manage congestion. And so this goes back to that issue we were talking about. Then we maybe don't have to build lanes four, five, and six because we're giving, we're giving commuters, travelers, a free flow option. Finally, Lorenz says the plan should be a relatively easy sell to lawmakers because it doesn't require any increases in taxes or fees. As long as the money earmarked for transportation isn't diverted like during the Brownback years, it, along with federal highway dollars and a limited amount of bond financing, ought to be enough. So the projections show that if we close the bank of KDOT by 2023, which means eliminate all the transfers out of the state highway system, which is what the governor of the state highway fund, apologies, which is what the governor has proposed, right. then we can begin bonding in 2022. So that's, that's the approach that we're taking. Uh, what's important to recognize here is that in order for that to work, revenues and expenditures at the state level have to be in sync. Julie Lorenz, Secretary of the Kansas Department of Transportation, thank you. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. To close out this week's State House plan, we turn to the issue of surprise medical bills, unanticipated, often out of network charges that can ruin people financially. As Celia Yopis Jepson of the Kansas News Service reports, Kansans may be especially vulnerable to these unwelcome surprises. Ballet dancer Chris Costantini remembers very clearly the 45 minutes or so that his shoulder was outside its socket. He'd slipped on a porch in Kansas City, Kansas, while out rustling up voters for an upcoming election. I, I'd never dislocated anything before, but I don't know, I'm not afraid to admit it's the most 
pain I've ever been in. It landed him in the emergency room, which came with its own pain, the price. Several thousand for the hospital and ER doc. Thankfully, that was in-network, and his insurance company's rates lowered those bills big time. But the ambulance, it turns out, wasn't in-network. Costantini was on the hook for $900. You don't really uh, realize how expensive health care is until you, uh, you have to take advantage of it. The Kaiser Family Foundation studied millions of 2017 insurance claims from across the country, from large employer plans. People in Kansas ran into out-of-network providers especially often. Even when Kansans picked hospitals in their network for inpatient care, more than one in four couldn't make it out the hospital door without bumping into some form of out-of-network service. Karen Pollitz co-wrote the report. It feels like a minefield, you know, and you, <laughs> I'm going to the hospital to deliver a baby or to have planned surgery, you know, and I picked an in-network hospital and I picked an in-network surgeon or obstetrician And yet I can still be faced with all these other bills. That story is really familiar to Laura Burton. She gave birth in 2014 in Topeka at an in-network hospital with an in-network obstetrician and thought that the other staff who dropped by her room were in-network too. Absolutely. 100% that's what I believed. It's not like I can shop around, right, after I've had a baby and I'm in the hospital and these providers are coming. I, I, I would never think to ask every person who comes into my hospital room after labor and delivery, are you in my insurance network? But one of the pediatricians who checked on her newborn, not in network. She got a separate $400 bill. Burton had already had a complex pregnancy. In and out of the hospital, she'd blown past her deductible and out-of-pocket max before delivery. And she and her husband had thought insurance would pick up the rest. And we didn't have that cash on hand. I remember we set up a payment plan. So why would Kansans run into a lot more out-of-network surprises than, say, Nebraskans, who fared much better in the report? Researchers aren't really sure, but they say it could vary year by year. Insurance networks change, state laws change. Kansas, for example, opened the door in 2016 to more insurance plans where you risk footing the full price of an out-of-network bill. And staff change, too, say when a big hospital brings in a new staffing company. Experts say some of those companies stay out of insurance networks on purpose because surprise billing is their business model. It's a great gig. You get to set prices for services and doctors that people didn't pick. Here's Pollitz again at the Kaiser Foundation. The anesthesiologist is who's on call when you show up. If you're having cancer surgery, for example, you'll never meet the pathologist that looks at your slides. The whole situation has Americans so stressed out, it's led to an avalanche of consumer guides. Stern has more of the questions you need to be asking. To try to win what feels like whack-a-mole. you say to your doctor, always send my blood test to an in-network lab. Or to make big bills disappear. You got to fight. You got to go beyond the call center rep. Public frustration is at a boiling point, pushing Congress to act. Advocates hope federal legislation could pass this year to curb out-of-network bills that patients have no chance to avoid. That could be especially good news for Kansans, unlike some places that at least passed state laws to rein in surprise bills where they could. Kansas never did that. Celia Yopis Jepson of the Kansas News Service. As you heard in Celia's report, Congress is in the best position to address the issue of surprise billing. 
But in the meantime, Kansas State Senator Barbara Boyer, a Democrat from Mission Hills and a retired doctor, is pushing for regulation at the state level. That may or may not happen at the federal level, and we need to move ahead and protect Kansas citizens from these surprise bills. Boyer, we should note, could soon be in a position to spur Congress into action because she's running for the U.S. Senate. For updates on all the news from the State House, listen to your favorite public radio station or go to our jam-packed website at ksnewsservice.org. This is State House Blend Kansas. In Topeka, I'm Jim McLean, reminding you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We like the feedback. State House Blend Kansas is a production of the Kansas News Service, a collaboration of public radio stations across the state. Our theme music was provided by Nameless Dancers. Follow the Kansas News Service at ksnewsservice.org and subscribe to State House Plan wherever you get your podcasts.